Well, good morning, East Hill. One person's here. Good morning, East Hill. How are we? So good. Online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for letting us come into your living room, your car, wherever you're at. Um, presence of God be on you today. So a couple of things that I just want to share out of the gate. Um, I can find the right. Cut them out of order. Must be left over from Crystal last week. So uh, a couple things we need to know. Uh, If you came in, you probably walked by in that space. Uh, We're doing a coat drive for women and children in need. And so that will culminate in the, uh, next week, next Sunday. So if you want to give all during the week, you've got to drop by the, the church office, which is that building over there. And you can, from 9 to 3, you can drop by any coats that you have. Or you can bring them next week, and we will pack the, the audience out there, the, the foyer, with all kinds of coats. Uh, and then secondly, how many have sponsored a child for Rwanda? All right. How many have written their letters yet? There we go. Well, I want to encourage you, uh, by next week, you can go online and find out a little bit more information, or you can just, if you've received a letter, we received a letter, Lori and I have from our child, and we haven't written back yet, but we're going to, because we want to send it with our team that's going to go in March and hand deliver these notes. And I, Okay, here's, what, here's the significance of that. If you've ever been in that age bracket in an impoverished world and to get a note or a letter of encouragement uh, can be a prophetic act of actually sowing into them that they're not just, you're not just giving them some money. You're actually investing in their life and you're praying for them and you're believing and you're speaking. Ask the Lord for a word to speak over them or a portion of scripture that you want to deposit in them about their identity in Christ and then send that. Can you do that for me? Two people right here, right there. Thank you. The rest of you talk to them afterwards and they'll get you clued on how to do that. Okay. And so, by the way, uh, I'm Pastor Arlen. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been around uh, for about 16, 17 years. Yeah. Yeah still around, so evidently they like my wife, Lori. So that's why they keep me. So we're blessed. Uh, it's been a wonderful place to raise our kids and to be a part of. And uh, it's also um, been a wonderful place to grow up. So over the years, how many know that this is Olympics? How many are watching the Olympics? Oh, come on. First, first surface was everybody. You guys are sleeping too late to watch. How many are watching the Olympics? Okay, okay, so I'll clue you in on the rest, okay? Because you're looking at an Olympic-watching family, okay? My kids and I grew up, uh, they didn't necessarily want to, but they were in the room with me, and I was watching. And Dad gets to rule in home. So we grew up, and I remember, um, you know, I have three amazing kids, two over there, one there, and then uh, my new... uh, daughter-in-law, who's actually my daughter. She's, she's bypassed the daughter-in-law, and now she's my daughter. Um, I am blessed. Uh, but one of my three children came out of the womb talking. Anybody else have one of those? 
Like you're like, you're not big enough to talk, but you're telling me what to do and how to do it. And no, no, yeah, right? Um, well, this one came out, and I know that because when she was really tiny, I was tucking her in bed, and uh, Dad likes to speak over about encouragement for the next day, so I, I, I whispered in her ear, I said, oh, I want you to do good tomorrow for Mommy. Her eyes were shut, didn't move. She just said, do well, Papa, do well. <laughs> There's nothing like getting corrected by a two- or three-year-old on your verbiage and what's okay to say and what not okay. So that's, that's the home I raised in. This same daughter, about that same time, stayed at home watching us, watching the Olympics. And we were in Fred Meyer. I was, had her on my shoulder. I was doing the shopping for the day. And all of a sudden, she starts humming the Olympic tune. <laughs> do, 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 at the top of her lungs. <laughs> no kidding. Every, every aisle I went down, people would look around. <laughs> oh, you guys are evidently spending way too much time watching TV at that house. But what I love about the Olympics is that for one season, the world comes together and everybody that participates is centered around one thing. They want to be the best at something in the world. They want to be the best. They don't want to just show up and say, ah, we'll see what happens. Their intention is to say, we're going to compete about the, with the best. But our goal is that when we leave, we're shooting for the goal. Nobody goes, I hope, you know, we want to be number four. We, you know, it's number one. Everybody wants to be number one, right? And so it doesn't matter whether you're risking your life flying like Eddie Eagle used to do off the ski jump yards down the way or whether you're on the half pipe risking your life or you're on the curling team. You think I'm kidding. What's your goal then? Right here. I studied for four years to do this. I told my wife the other day when there was a spill in the kitchen, I'm like, four years from now, I'm going to be ready. I'm cleaning that thing up. But what I love about it, at the end of the day, the intention is to what? To be the best to be the best version of you in whatever category you find yourself in. And we have been in this series entitled Back to Basics. But the intention of it isn't to just add some repertoire to your life. It actually is, John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life to the full, to the most uttermost parts of abundance. That's what I have for you. And if you want to get there... You're going to have to do the things that will prepare you to walk as a child of the Most High in full authority and abundance. That's why the word, we started with the Word, getting into the Word. You, you can get to heaven without reading the Word at all. But if you want abundance in this life, you want victory, you want authority in this life, you can't do it without the Word, being a part of who you are. 
And not just the word reading up here, but actually journaling and saying, God, what does that mean to me? What are you asking of me? Most of my journal for the last 20 years is replete with repentance. Because I read something and God exposes something in me, a motive that's not right. And then all of a sudden I have to go, God, what do I do with that? Forgive me. And he goes, I got grace for you. I got grace, but your grace is going to have to have some action. You're going to have to respond to your wife a little bit better next time, right? He's got application out of it, but it starts with looking in the mirror and going, God, what are you saying to me about me? And then it goes on, and we, we dealt with prayer, and prayer is not just some things that I stand before God and I just utter and tell him all the stuff that he already knows. It's actually about alignment. I liken it to this. Why would I not in the struggles of every area of my life that I have, not partner with the most powerful person in the universe, in Jesus? Why would I not align my spirit and my heart with what he's saying and doing and then watch until it happens? Why would I not do that? That's what prayer is about. Serving, he talked about the fact that Jesus, John chapter 13 served the most powerful person in the universe comes in low and then gives his life he washes the feet of his disciples and said go do likewise here's just a shocker of all shockers when jesus did that you know who was in the room judas the one he knew was going to betray him he knelt down and i believe he did it for one reason I'm going to give you one more opportunity to recognize your journey. I'm going to force you. I'm not going to exclude you. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to see my goodness. And then, you know the rest of it. We, we talked about all kinds of stuff in terms of things you need. Tithing and giving. Rochelle's comment was... God doesn't need my money. He actually wants my heart. And most of the time, my heart runs through my money. <laughs> runs through what I trust. Will I actually trust him with my life, with my journey? And when I do, he goes, I'm going to show you how good I am. I'm going to show up, show off, and your needs will be taken. And you will live abundantly because you're connected to me. Amen. Right? Yeah. How many know that we got to... God that's generous. If you've said yes to Jesus, it's because he's generous to you. How can you not live generously? You got to be like our Papa. And then last week, last week was amazing. Talking about serving and stepping in and using your talents and your gifts. How many know that God didn't put stuff inside of you so you could hoard it? No hoarders in the kingdom. It's like everything that's been given is to be given to you to be given away. Kingdom of God, the church of God, is a group of people that are contributors to the kingdom work around them. We come into Jesus going, hey, I got needs that need to be met. And if you're growing in Jesus, pretty soon it's not about you. You don't go, hey, 
Pastor Keith was, yeah, he's just okay. He didn't do much for me last week. Or Pastor Arnold, he's talking too much. And, and I didn't get anything. You come and go, God, why do you have me here? Oh, how can I encourage somebody? How can you come in low? They need helpers in Kids Zone, Kid City. Well, you know what? That might be me. Maybe I should try it out. Maybe I should bless some kids and just see what God can do with that. Oh, when by doing that and people getting saved, they get saved because their kids are being watched for and they have the freedom and the time in the midst of their chaos to meet Jesus. That happens because all the areas, the greeters, we're all doing it. It's all kingdom. John 10, 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life to the full. So today, I want to cause the full circle and culminate all of that. I call it the disciplines or the components of an abundant life. Um, but I think it has to do for me about realizing that... Um, let me get my... The significance of all of those land in a final something for us. A final something that is the, uh, the, the, the whipped cream on the top of what it means to live abundantly. You want to know what that is? I think. Do you? Yeah. Got one. I got, I, need, I got six people. I'm in. That's all I need. Online? Oh, there's a few more there. Awesome. I believe it is learning to be generous with every aspect of your life. I want to wrap up the gospel in one thing. Jesus came to be generous with his life at the expense of himself for me, for you. So, yeah, right? We're all the benefit of that. But it's even more than that. It's not just your life. It starts there. But it's also your story. Or better yet, your God story. Did you know that your God story, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, has been given to you? It's the cum- culmination of your journey. Like, I used to think that the bad parts of my journey, I've been walking with God for 53 years, but not all of them were victorious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? The bad parts, I, w- I just want to kind of push aside, act like they're not there, and only talk about the victories. The truth is, it's all part of my story. It all made me who I am today. In fact, most of the time as I talk about the things that I've struggled with or are struggling now is when God's grace comes in and then somebody around me goes, oh, me too. Me too. So if God's showing up for you, maybe he'll show up for me. There's a portion of Scripture that Paul writes in uh, Colossians 1, 27 through 29 that I want to read from today, and I think it culminates this, this focus for me. And it, it, you need to know that he wrote it from prison, so he's in the most difficult of circumstances. Not a prison like we have where they got TV and they got the workout. It, this, is like, this is hardcore. Um, and he writes to the Colossian church this. He says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. You know, that word word mystery can also be translated treasure. So he's writing to him saying, there's a mystery inside of you. There's a treasure inside of you that's this. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. You said yes to Christ. You have a gift, a treasure, a mystery that people can't quite figure out why in the middle of circumstances that should be causing you to freak out, you have a stability of peace because of the presence of God in your life. And they go, how do you do that? Or you've got these circumstances that would derail everybody, but somehow you are so grieving yet content in the middle of that. What is that? It's because there's a mystery inside you, more a treasure. Then he goes on, he says, he is the one, being Jesus, we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone get your Bible, circle everyone. We don't live in a realm that believes the everyone very often. We pick and choose. We say, well, you know, they're not really open. They're not really want, so I can not spend time with them. I can not shun them. All kinds of... He's writing to the outcasts, which are Gentiles that shouldn't, according to the Old Testament, be brought in. But Jesus said, no, no, no. It's for them too. There's no more others it's everyone that's our intention and so as he's doing that i think that he's going after the maturity for all of us that to be honest with you he says so that we may present everyone fully mature in christ so as a pastor here's the challenge i have to look at it and go every person i come into contact with regardless of where they're at My focus has to be what he just said, and that is, I need to proclaim. I need to declare. I need to make known the goodness of God. The treasure in me compels me to portray, to show the video of my life in such a way that it's going to win people to want what I have. Proclaim, admonish, encourage For a long time, it seemed like evangelistic thinking was that you stood up there and you kind of held fire and brimstone, and it didn't actually inspire and encourage people to meet the love of Jesus. You know, sometimes you got to love people a long time before they say yes. Right? Lord knows, hey, took me took a while for my wife to go. Yeah, you're you're yeah, you're good enough for me took me a while. I had to earn that. But it was so worth it. Yes, it was. <laughs> teaching with all wisdom. Can I tell you something about teaching? I grew up in an era where the idea for me was looking for all the teachable moments so I can impart my wisdom. And it, and it didn't take me very long to figure out I didn't have a whole lot of wisdom to impart. <laughs> Maybe online has a, more wisdom than me. That's fine. Send it my way, right? But the idea for me was I realized, actually, most of my wisdom impartation comes through the Holy Spirit in a normal conversation. And three-quarters of the time, I'm listening and not speaking. 
Somehow, I think that somebody's only learning when I say something, and I'm like, the Holy Spirit's back there going, dude, you're not smart enough to fix yourself. I can show up and show off in ways. I can impart and pull out of people. And I've learned over the years that asking really good questions so that people have to wrestle with that stuff themselves and come to the conclusion, and then I get to show them in Scripture how their conclusion lines up. And then they go, ah. Because it's an experience that they get. And then he ends and says, we're supposed to contend, contend, strenuously contend. You know what strenuously means? It's not half-hearted. It is all in, right? Moving my chips to the middle of the table going, I'm in. I think I'm going to win this one, right? All in, strenuous. That same word, contend, is used elsewhere in the New Testament, of contending in prayer. You know what that means for me? It means too many times the things I get frustrated about or the people I get frustrated with that I start talking about and I start telling everybody about how frustrated I am and I haven't taken any time to stop and go, God, what do you want to do there? What's that look like? How can you move? You're here. I'm here. What kingdom work are you going to be doing? You know why? Because I have the ability to carry the presence and the power of the treasure that's in me, which is his presence. How many know that if we accurately and positively bring in the presence of the living God into the situations, how many think the environment is going to change? Right? So, we carry a message. We contend in it. We teach. We admonish. We proclaim. If we're not careful, that becomes a mantra of just how we do it. So, I want to give you a different side of that take. And it's this. If we're going to do this, I want to get really, really practical about imparting into the world an element of the treasure we carry. To do it, number one, we actually have to engage in their story. We have to engage in their story. It's interesting to me, in the circles that I run, that too often the story of other people is the last thing we get to because we're too busy trying to shift and shape and influence we're going to be an influencer. And, and the intention may or may not be bad, but the truth is, is that sometimes you've got to earn the right to be heard. How do you earn the right to be heard? You actually value their story. You value who they are. You step into their world, and instead of being offended, you start asking some questions. Tell me more about that. Like when I was uh, running electrical work, um, I had a rather large crew and was still a licensed pastor, but I was just functioning in the realm of running electrical. And, and let me tell you about electrical uh, and people in construction. The phraseology and the actual words they use, I would never use. In fact, if I'm not careful, I would look at it and be offended. 
go, like, I don't want that around me. Like, and, and start. And I used to think that way, but what I realized is that for most of them, that's all they ever knew. And so it took time of influence of my presence in their life, not being offended, before they actually learned that maybe some of those words aren't really meant to be adverbs. <laughs> maybe there's another word that could be used, or what's the intention, or they just grew up that way. We live in a culture that that's their norm. They don't grow up in the environment that I grew up in. So how do I keep their voices at the table? It's not by pointing out every time they use something, but actually to step into their story and go, tell me more about your life. Help me understand you. And I've said all along, it's like raising kids, you know. If somebody's walking down the street and they just see me operating in a way with my kids and they want to come and give me some direction to how I'm supposed to do that, what am I going to do? Pack sand. Yeah, talk, talk to the hand. Yeah, not going to happen. But somebody that's earned their right into my inner circle now has a voice into my life in areas that I just quite don't see. That's the beauty of being married to a godly woman, that I cannot be aware of how I respond because I didn't see it. But her, because I know she's invested in my life, I can trust what she says. We've got to do that with people in the world, people at your work. You've got to learn to listen. So it's interesting, I was watching a um, TED Talk by a name, uh, person by the name of Celeste Handler, and it's like 12 minutes long, and it was really good. It's about communication how to have great communication. And then she uses this phrase, she goes, um, you know, we've been taught to look in their eyes. We've been taught to nod and smile and to repeat pack so you can tell people and influence people that you're really listening. And she said that's, and she uses the word crap. She says, it's a load of crap. And I, like that, she goes, because if you're actually doing that, you don't need to let them know that. If you're actually listening to their story, you're intently. And what was interesting, I journaled something similar to that just about a week ago, and the Lord told me something about me. He said, as I journaled, he said, and out of it, it culminated in a prayer that I pray every day now. So, God, help me stay engaged in conversations when one of two things happen. One, I don't care. You ever been in those conversations? About halfway through, you're going, man, I, I, I don't care, and you check out. Am I the only one? Come on, right? Or I disagree. And I may not check out of it because I'm going to stay in it, but I'm staying in it not long, any longer to hear, only to refute what I heard. And anybody in that conversation, it kind of like, it was like during the political season we just had, it depends on whatever side you're on. If you wore a mask that had that, and you thought that, that, that on that side is going to influence anybody else that's not on that side, not going to happen, or vice versa on the other side. It only caused divide, division. 
Our job is to keep people close. So what we carry when we get bumped, when we don't agree, out of us comes this amazing amount of love and grace that they go, you mean I don't have to believe everything yet? But you'll still love me? I don't know about you. That's kind of Jesus that I read in the New Testament. That he loved people right where they're at. Romans 5, 8, while you and I were yet sinners, he died for us. He didn't go, well, clean yourself up and then maybe I'll think about it. Right? He stepped into our world and said, in the middle of that, I choose you. I choose you. That's the kind of love that our world is desperately looking for. My favorite one, to engage in their story, to notice, encourage, and to speak life. How many conversations do we have where we walk out of the conversation going, man, I really encouraged somebody. I saw the image of God in them, in the middle of their mess, and said, I may have to look really hard, but I'm going to find something really good in you that I want to point out. So I'm... I'm in a, in a line at Starbucks, and the line is in, I'm in my car, and there's only like one person in front of me. But no kidding, 15 minutes later, that one person's still in the drive through line, right? And I'm like, I'm late, I'm ready to go. Did, did, the, did they have to get the order from Albertsons or Safeway and bring it back? Right? What, what's going on here? I'm like, can, do they need help? I'll come in and help make it. <laughs> and my window's down a little bit. And then I find myself going, come on. <laughs> and it hit me. I'm going, oh, I hope they don't go to East Hill. <laughs> I'm just saying. I will say, in the moment, I wasn't thinking good, kind thoughts about the person in front of me. <laughs> and to make it even better, they pull off, and I drive up there, and it's my daughter at the window handing me my coffee. I'm like, I hope you didn't hear that too, honey. <laughs> so good. So good. And I said, you know what? I've earned it. I'm just going to sit here for 15 minutes and talk. I did. I'm not one of those guys. Didn't do that. Deuteronomy 10.8 says this. The Lord set apart the tribe of Levites. How many knows that the New Testament presents, if you said yes to Christ, you are a Levitical priesthood, priesthood of all believers. You have a responsibility now to do these three things, to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. You know what that represented? The presence. Did you know it was your job to carry the presence into every situation? It's, let me take it out of the job. It's your invitation by the king of the universe who put a treasure in you to make sure that you're aware that the treasure you carry is him. And he is about 
to change the environment of what you walk in because you partnered with him. To stand before the Lord and minister, you know what that is? That's worship. If worship's not your thing, learn to make it your thing. You become like what you worship. The more you get into the presence of God, the more you become aware of who he is and how worthless apart from him you are, but he makes you royalty because of him. You're compelled to worship. But here's my favorite. And to pronounce blessings in his name. Even you're in your car behind another car that's taken 15 minutes. I've got to learn that what I carry is to be given away positively to encourage, to inspire. Parents, if you get kids, they should hear almost every day you calling them up to their identity, their destiny, who God says they are in spite of what you see. And they will rise to that occasion. You know why? Because the spirit of living God deposits something that begins to take root. So, Three greatest hindrances to us carrying the presence of God into rooms. Self-focus, not kingdom focus. Kind of like me sitting in the Starbucks line. I wasn't carrying the kingdom in at that moment because it was all about me. I wanted my coffee. I wanted it now and get out of the way. <laughs> judgment. So what about judgment? Judgment will hinder the presence of God from entering rooms. A friend of mine told me a story about himself. He was really authentic, real and honest. And he said um, he was in front of a store. And being in front of the store, he was met with a, as his wife was doing shopping in one of the stores, that he said, that's not my thing. How many guys have not the thing? That, you go shop, I'll just stand outside in the rain. Well, he's out there, and all of a sudden... A homeless man comes up asking for money. And that's not his thing either. And he says, no. And he was polite, said, no, that's sorry. I'm, I'm, that's not what I want to do, and that's not what I'm going to do. And so after a little bit of conversation, the guy left. And then a short time later, the guy circles back around and goes for round two. And this time it was maybe not quite so polite, and it was more, are you kidding me? We're done here. No more of that. And then departed from there. And then he watches as this homeless man walks down to the next door. And out of the next door comes a couple that's on the prayer ministry. And they sees, he's watching this couple gather around this young man. And then the next thing you know, they've got their hands laid on the shoulders of this young man and they're beginning to pray for him. And he said to me, I missed an opportunity. I allowed my judgment of him 
to review, re- remove me from the possibility of stepping in and giving him what I had, which is the presence of God. Every person we meet deserves to encounter the presence of God that we carry. The last one's offense. It didn't, how many know that we are such a divisive nation now, right? Vax, unvaccinated. Masks, no masks. Political this side, that side, right in the middle. I, right? You don't have to look very far to create a space from other people because of what they think. The problem is an offense is like a fence. You build the fence to keep people on their side and you're on your side. It's not a kingdom principle. Philippians 2, Jesus came who had every right to look at us and go, unclean. And it says these words, that he emptied himself and became obedient even to death on a cross for you and I. He chose to be unoffendable. He didn't allow our state to create a separation. He bridged the gap. God's calling us to be a bridge builder, not a fence builder. We build bridges to create an avenue for them to encounter because you may be the only presence of God they encounter the whole day. They may come from a chaotic situation and all of a sudden you come in and what do you bring? Presence of the living God. 20 years ago, I had an encounter in my living room that altered and changed me to my core and began me on this journey that apart from that, I'm not standing here. I don't have three amazing kids. I don't have an amazing wife. We're not still married. None of that would have happened apart from this encounter. And God began to un... How many know that when God comes into your life, he starts undoing a bunch of what you thought? Right? And then what I've learned is that's actually a lifestyle of his. So after 20 years later, I'm reading the word, and he's still undoing stuff. In fact... If I live to be 100 years old, I have a feeling that I'm going to live and wake up one morning, read my word at 100 years of age, and he's going to be undoing some things and be setting me free from something that plagued me for 100 years because he's never done with transformation. It's called transformational truth. I can teach you what I know truth-wise, but the power that I release is when I can tell you something that's transformed my life And then I go, that's my story. And that's usually about the stuff that I messed up that God's just put the pieces back together. And then all of a sudden I go, I got something to say now. And people go, you you think your life's messed up? Let me tell you mine. And I get to look at them and go, I don't get to be offended any longer because I know my messed up life. I know that I look in the mirror and go, "Ah, I, I don't deserve the family that I have that's so amazing apart from your presence, God. But when you came in, you rewrote everything, and you're in this process of rewriting everything. So one of the things that the Lord taught me in that season, because I started to develop, I was so hungry for, uh, for God and the expression of that, I started 
didn't matter where, I, I'm running electrical work and I've got a bunch of non-believing uh, apprentices working for me and I'm telling them about what God was doing in me that morning. And then I would meet with some other believers and I'm going, you, you got to hear what God's doing in me and he's rewriting everything. And then some people would just, dude, you're weird. <laughs> and I, I said they would lean out, right? Yeah. And as I was complaining to the Lord, and I almost had an attitude about, they just don't want you, God. They just don't want to hear. And God said this to me. He said, you're gonna, online, you're going to need to catch this one. He said, how, how old were you before you got it? Yeah. Wow. I'm like, 40 years old. So for 40 years, because God always follows up stuff with me, for 40 years, you didn't get it. And he said, what did it take for you? I said, one encounter. One encounter. He said, I don't want you to look at anybody else ever again without viewing them as just one encounter away from a life change. Your only job is to create the environment for the life change to happen. I can make the life change happen in a moment, but I want to partner with you and let you carry my presence in so my presence can do what I do. So, when we engage in their story, then we get to now step into the most important part. Here's my challenge for today. Be the one. Be the one. Be the one who creates an environment for others to ride your wave, to come into a relationship with Jesus. Be the one that builds bridges to people's lives by knowing their story and by caring for their story. Your neighbors... Those around you, co-workers. Right, here's one. How many have people in their life, in the circle of their life, that are difficult? Raise your hands. Okay. If you don't have your hand raised, you might be the difficult person. <laughs> just saying. Don't just look straight ahead. Don't look at them. Okay. We all have it. And we can tend to avoid, build a fence, build a distance, build a reason to disconnect rather than contending for them, stepping into their world, start to ask questions about why they're the way they are in a way that welcomes them to the table that sees them so that when they come, they know that they've been seen by somebody and not just talked at. Nobody wants to be talked at. You want to be where everybody knows their name. <laughs> they want to be in a place where they're recognized, they're cared for, and people ask them questions. You want to know if you're really listening? Next time you see them, ask them a question about something they spoke to you about. 
you'll send a message. Not only did I hear you, but I thought about you. And you send a huge message that says you're welcome at this table. As the worship team's coming, I want to tell you about a conference that I went to in brief, and it changed my perspective. I think there's two elements to be the one. And I learned this at a conference. It was a pastor's conference where I went to. And in the pastor's conference, there was a couple that were there that, uh, uh, a couple that's been instrumental in how we raised our kids, life-changing. And they were talking about having a healthy marriage in ministry. And I'm like, okay, I'm in ministry, and I want a healthy marriage. Maybe I should go to that one. So Lori and I went to it. And the conversation that happened, I could narrow it down to two principles that he said. If you want a healthy marriage in ministry, here's what you got to do. Become a student of yourself. Become aware of what you bring into rooms. Become aware of the tone that you carry into rooms. Be aware of you. And it struck me because I was thinking of, uh, a, I read an article one time about a guy that sent in, he said he was, he was expressing something he did to change an environment where he worked at. And he worked at a, a uh, hotel behind the desk. And at this hotel behind the desk, he said, Almost everybody came with complaints and frustration, and sometimes they were so animated and so ticked off that they were almost borderline abusive. He said, until we did something, we got a huge mirror and put it right behind us so they could actually see what they look like when they're yelling at us. And he said it began to change everything. Here's my question. I, 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 can't, I can't hold the mirror out here all the time. But I can create a space where the people around me are comfortable reflecting back to me. me. I need it. And that's just not those I'm comfortable with. Coworkers people in your neighborhood. You don't have to agree with everything that they reflect back, but you don't have to be offended by either. You don't know what you don't know. And then he took it one step farther and said, after you've got that worked on, now become a student of your spouse. Dive in and want to know more. And then I want to broaden that out and say, it's not just about your spouse. What if we lived in a realm that we came in and said, I'm going to become a student of your life. I'm going to know everything about your life because I care. And how do I know that God might not want to speak in the innermost thoughts of my head in the middle of the night something that would speak to you? I mean, if the God of the universe could give me a dream in the middle of the night that solved a $100,000 issue that I had in the electrical industry, I think he could fix your problem. But I've got to build that platform. And then I've got to begin to create the environment that I love you enough that I'm going to engage in your story. And guess what? I'm going to bring all of who I am including my story. And all of a sudden now they go, oh, 
Tell me more about your God. Tell me more about your messed up life that God stepped into. And when we do, it becomes powerful. We tell and retell our God's story of the transformation of his grace in our life. In fact, the the honest truth, my greatest story is the story of transformation. It's the broken, messed up places in my life that God steps into and creates something wonderful in spite of me. The worship team's gonna sing a special song that I think actually is gonna paint the picture for us of the significances. So listen.